Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here's your host, Associate Editor Mark Demko. So, hey, everybody, welcome to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We're here in very early fall, so depending where you live, archery deer season is either underway or it's going to start in just a few days. Uh, very exciting time of the year. Most people across the country are are deer hunters when you look at the archery hunting world. And we're going to talk about something that's applicable to everybody who who hunts, not just bow hunters, but all hunters. And that's basically scent control, playing the wind, and making sure that uh, deer don't get wind of you. It's so important to deer hunting. And we have a very special guest. We have Buddy Pyland of Ozonics. Buddy, you're the president of Ozonics. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. And and uh, as you said, I it's uh, it's that time of year when, when all of us that love uh, – love chasing deer uh, are, are getting excited and fired up yeah and um let's 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 st- step back for a second and, and go back to the beginning as far as you uh i don't know how long you've been hunting but you didn't start bow hunting until you were in your early 30s if i'm correct so you know how did you get started hunting and then what made you make that transition to bow hunting so you know i i i grew up uh I grew up fishing with my grandfather a lot, but, and, but neither my grandfather or my father hunted much. And so I really wasn't exposed to it until my late, uh, late twenties. And I started duck hunting. I had a good friend and he said, Hey, why don't we go buy shotguns and we'll start duck hunting. And so that became a, a real passion of ours. And, and, uh, of course I was still fishing along the Gulf coast here in Texas, uh, have a, have love chasing redfish and, and sea trout. And, uh, in the in the process of doing that, I sold a boat to a guy, and part of the deal was he said, "Look, I've got 700 acres in Central Texas, and I I've got a if if uh, I'll pay you this much for the bow, and I'll let you come kill a few deer on my place, but you got a bow hunt." And I said, "Man, I've I've never touched a bow in my life. I've never been deer hunting in my life." And uh, so my other buddy, the one I was duck hunting with, said, "Hey, I've got an old bear." Uh, bow in my closet i'll sell you for a hundred dollars and i bought that bow went and bought some arrows set it up i went to my local bow shop in down here in south texas and uh and the guy spent a, a, a few hours with me showing me how to sight my bow in and i started practicing and about two months later the season opened and you know like a lot of guys the first day i went out i sat in a tripod and uh i had a, a doe come in and uh, unfortunately I, I've got what all of us, I have that adrenaline dump on the first deer and I hit her a little far back in the, in, in the, uh, and didn't make a good shot on my first deer. And, uh, we kind of, I didn't know any better about how you track them or to do what you do. And we ended up bumping her when she was bedded down. But the next morning I went back out and after laying there all night, trying to figure out how I do better. And, uh, so the next morning I, I did take my first doe and I heart shot her and watched her, watched her fall. And I've been hooked ever since. And at that point I was 32 years old. And so I'm uh, 20 years later and I, uh, it's, it's just a, a every day. I, my opener here in Texas is Saturday and I'm counting the hours uh, to get out there and, and uh, do what I love. It's funny. We, we do it every year and yet you still get excited for that opening day and then again when the rut starts to kick in and things like that it's just you know and it's funny you made me think back and people who listen to the podcast know that i i started 
uh, in the same way, just a little bit earlier. I didn't start hunting until I was 19, and I don't think I started bow hunting until I was about 21. So, um, you know, I I, did, I had a, my uncle and my dad mentored me a little bit. My dad stopped hunting shortly after I started. And, you know, I, I, I had a big learning curve, too, in going through, and I missed my first year I ever shot at. And then when I got my first deer, it was it was weird because it was on actually a deer drive, something you might do with a firearm, but you wouldn't normally do with a bow. But we had a point where the land and the river came together and the deer were funneled. And that's how I got mm-hmm. my first year. A doe, it came through and um, it was like a 10 yard shot. Next year, it was a buck. And so I was happy with that doe and it was a great start. And I've been hooked ever since, too. You know, it's something I think that's so. Uh a lot of people don't understand about bowing and and I, I say it a lot is that it's hard and i think that's the allure for a lot of people but so i took my i took a doe that first hunt and then i spent five years trying to kill a, a buck with a bow so i was actually almost 37 years old before i killed a, a buck with a bow and uh and really it, it that buck's on my wall all 115 inches of him and he's probably my favorite deer on the wall uh, because I had so much time and effort and work that went into that, that uh, you want to talk about a happy guy the, the day I took that animal. And it, it just so happened that was also the first animal that I'm aware of ever taken using uh, ozone as a scent control as well. Yeah, and, and we're certainly going to talk about your products. And truth be told, I use ozonics. I, I think it's a great Ooh. tool. It really adds well to the arsenal when you're with deer hunting and you're trying to fool a, a deer's nose you know i was looking at some of the numbers and it's like they say that uh, a, a deer's olfactory senses are just like thousands and thousands of times greater than a human i mean one of the numbers i saw was it's like they have 297 million uh olfactory receptors i will tell you i've been busted by deer um that have smelled me much more than ever have seen me or anything else or mm-hmm. heard me um so you know Let's start there. Uh, you know, looking at all the aspects that go into bow hunting, you got to get the animals close. You got to be quiet. You got to try not to, to move. You got to try and fool their their sense of smell. Where do you rank scent control as as one of the most important elements when it comes to deer hunting? Well, you know, something I've always said is that um, in, in my mind, there's three things a hunter has to do. They have to stay hidden, right? They can't let the animals see them. So, to your point, they you, you got to limit your movement. You got to camouflage yourself. Number two, you got to be quiet. You can't make noise um and and spook the animal both of those are completely within the hunter's control for the most part right you you can control those things the one thing you can't control is the wind and you can't control odor completely there you are still a thermogenic being right you 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 produce heat you produce odor and bacteria just in the breathing process the sweating process so all of the scent control and protocols that we put in place to, to get ourselves clean when we go to the woods, th- those all, do they all help because they reduce your odor footprint? Certainly. But once you're static and you're seated and you're ready to do your hunt, you're still breathing, you're still producing bacteria and odor that's going to get in the downwind airstream. So I rank scent control f- from any hunting position. I know a lot of times rifle or firearm hunters, um, of which I, I am one, I, I, mm-hmm. I don't mind picking up a rifle from time to time or a muzzle loader and, and hunting, but they, they don't view sometimes scent control as important as a bow hunter. But for me, in both aspects, that's the number one um, element that I, I feel that um, will make you successful or, or, or not, especially 
um, on seeing animals, seeing more animals, and seeing higher quality animals. I agree. And sometimes I think because you're hunting with a firearm, you think that um, you don't need to pay as much attention to odors, your odor, household odors, because you're able to sort of reach out and touch your deer if you see it. But they're still within that range where they can smell you. I mean, as I said at the start of the podcast, I've had deer smell me and snorting and blowing, and they were well out of my eyesight, you know, a a long way away. And so even for a rifle shot, it would have been hard. But the point is, when you're bow hunting, it's so uber crucial to focus on trying to minimize your scent. Now, let's talk a little bit about your process that you go through scent preparation, you know, whether it's you start with um, trying to neutralize the odors on your clothes or whatever. But let's talk about your your personal best practices. How do you like to prepare for a deer, deer, deer hunting? So, you know, in a perfect world, when I have when I have all of the time and, and opportunity, you know, I like to I like to, of course, shower before a hunt. I like to treat my clothes. We we have a dry wash locker. I typically treat all of my clothes pre hunt and post hunt with with ozone. Um, I will wash my clothes in scent free uh, fabric or, or detergent. Um, and use some type of UV blocker, you know, a a lot of the same things if I have that opportunity. Now, Mm -hmm. elk hunting, some of the other things or some of the the more remote camps where we don't have access to that, then I rely 100% on my either my dry wash bag or my locker where I treat all my clothes pre and post hunt with with ozone. Um, When I get to the field, I, I used to be a guy that would carry my clothes to the field and change in the field. I don't do that anymore because I, my dry wash bag, I can treat my outer garments when I get there right on the side of my pickup truck. I to put my kinetic bag on, throw my unit on and turn it on for the for my ingress, because so many times a hunt is ruined on your way to the stand. Um, and then I, I, I get up in the tree and the first thing I do is get my unit positioned determine the downwind direction, which, you know, we are, we're all using a weather app or, or in our case, our, our new app with the, the, with the HR 500 provides you with weather information if you have a cell service and uh, position my unit and use it during my hunt and take it down and use it on my way back out. Okay, let's talk a little bit about your technology. Now, your company's been around since about 2007, if I'm correct. And That's correct. you came out with the original ozone the portable ozone generator and you know when people think of ozone they think of maybe industrial applications and things like that but basically ozone is a like a colorless odorless gas and it's uh basically comprised of three oxygen molecules or atoms if i'm correct but but let's talk about how that actually works how does the process of ozone work in helping to neutralize human and household odors so uh, ozone is a naturally occurring oxidant, right? It's a powerful oxidant. Every time lightning strikes the ground, hundreds of pounds of ozone are created because it, and it, it's basically an oxygen molecule that, that high voltage electricity rips in half. And in that process, it, it becomes, it, it attaches itself to one of these, uh, an oxygen molecule will attach itself to that, that separated molecule creating O3, and that wants to revert back to its natural state. And in that process, it sticks to whatever it can stick to and oxidize that, whether it's smoke or pollen or dust, or in this case, human odor, which is simply bacteria. And it begins to oxidize and unravel that. And there's millions and millions of ozone molecules being produced when you're running an ozone generator. 
at the time we came up with the idea that when Scott, our, our CEO and founder, Scott Elrod, uh, in 2004, he was a dentist, an avid elk hunter, bird hunter, just a hunter all the way around. But he had uh, used big industrial units like you're talking about in his dental practice to sanitize uh, surgical equipment in some mm -hmm. cases. He used it to purify um, his hygiene rooms in some cases. And he used it in controlled uh, environments when he would be cauterizing wounds with a laser because nobody wants to, to smell burned flesh and ozone would knock that out. And in the process of doing that, he naturally uh, or not naturally was thinking, well, if that can get rid of that odor, how could I take that to the field when I'm elk hunting and keep an elk from smelling? And, and that was kind of the genesis of the idea. Now, in 2004, when he filed the patents for that idea, there was no such thing as a portable uh, ozone generator. Everything was a plug in the wall, to your point, used in industrial applications. And so we spent the next three years um, experimenting with and developing uh, prototypes until we, we came to the original HR 500, which was, you know, a, a, the true um, definition of a minimal viable product. It was a big, heavy square box, weighed about five and a half pounds, but it was super effective. I, it was so effective. I used to carry two of them to a tree with me and hang them up there with bungee cords and ropes uh, because it works so good. But um, in that process, we developed the first portable ozone generators. It ran on a nickel cadmium battery. And over a three-year period, we continue to evolve. And in 2010, late 2010, uh, at the Matthews Show in, in uh, Wisconsin, at the Dells in Wisconsin, we launched the uh, the HR 200 at the time, which uh, has evolved into the HR 230 and still is a staple in our uh, in our lineup. Uh, the the what I like to call the workhorse. It's been around now for 13 years. Yeah, now you came out with a new model last year. Talk a little bit about that and how that works. And I think it's also tied to the that Bluetooth enabled app and stuff. It's so it's 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 pretty high tech nowadays. It really allows you to operate almost hands free. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, we we've kind of, the the HR two thirty works great, but there were certain environmental challenges that uh, just simply called for more ozone. And so we over the years we've introduced some models, the HR three hundred. Had a new, what I would refer to as a 300 series, and that platform has evolved into the, the model we introduced last year, our flagship model, the HR 500. Uh, it is Bluetooth and Wi-Fi capable. Um, the Bluetooth connects directly to an app where you control the unit hands-free. We also created a remote, what I like to call um, your, uh, your DEF CON 4 button. In other words, um, when you're in a situation where you need to limit movement and all of a sudden you've got, you've got the, the buck of your dreams coming in and you just yeah. want that reassurance that you need more ozone, you can hit your remote and it immediately will, will go from the mode you're in to the next highest mode. So if you're in boost mode in a tree and you, you hit that, it's going to move to hyper boost and, pr and provide you with, with even more ozone and limit your movement. Because in the past, you would have to reach up and adjust the unit, turn around, hit the unit, and change mode. So the, both the app, all of us are guilty of having our phone in our hand a lot, but um, you have a choice now. You can use the app to check wind direction. A cool thing about the app that I really like is the, is the 
it, it'll give you precise battery life. You're able to look at that and say, oh, wow, I've only got 20 minutes of battery life. It's about to be the last hour of the day. It's the prime time. I'm going to go ahead and switch my battery out now so I don't, it doesn't die on me at, in, in the last 10 minutes of the hunt when, when, uh, when I need it the most. Um, the other thing I really love about the HR 500 is one of the, these units, they use a fan and they use what we call a, a coil to produce to, that creates a coronal discharge. That's where we uh -huh. use high voltage electricity to crack oxygen molecule and create O3. There is some noise related to that. It, it's, it's a constant noise, a white noise that it, ha, I, it doesn't spook animals, but there are times that in a quiet, evening setting or morning setting that it bothers me right it, that, that mm -hmm. i, I want to hear a little bit more and so we work very very hard to to make our units quieter and quieter and the hr 500 is is the hands down the quietest you 300 series unit that we've produced yeah and i have to share a personal story as i mentioned in the beginning here i use ozonics and uh i hunt in my house i have a few acres here where i bow hunt and I set up a ground blind where I hunt and, and you're talking about uh, using the ozonics. I just sort of wedge it into where I can and uh, on the blind and um, at a perfect wind and the wind shifted when I was hunting. It was like November 5th, I think, last year and a buck walk out that I was going to take. And, and the wind had just totally shifted from the right direction to the absolute wrong direction. Well, mm -hmm. it got right in front of me where it should have easily busted out, but it stopped and it spun three times enough for me to get a shot off. Other than that, I'm pretty sure that deer would have blew out of there before it even walked in front of that blind. So, um, you know, sometimes even when the, set, the setup is absolutely totally wrong, in this case, it wasn't my fault. The wind just totally shifted directions. That that ozone generator, I, I believe, helped to hold that deer long enough for me to get a shot on him. And I, and I just think it's a testament to that. But but I think, you know, it's scent control from, from start to finish. And you mentioned something early on I want to back up about um, not carrying your clothes in and all that stuff. But you know, when people think about scent control, they think about maybe washing with scent-free soap or your body wash and their clothes and things. But there's other things you really got to pay attention to. And one of them that, that always jumps out to me is you got to really pay attention to how you enter and exit your stand site, don't you? And talk cool. a little bit about that, because that's I mean, I think about that all the time when I'm even touching branches or or twigs to move out of the way, especially if it crosses deer trail. That's a big thing that sometimes people overlook, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I, a lot of times I tell people that getting into your stand, in, in, in my opinion, and, and out of it too, but certainly getting into it, you can ruin a hunt before it ever starts if you don't put some thought into that. Like how I'm going to get to my stand. And, and a huge part of that is where's my odor blowing? What is the wind doing? And where's my odor blowing? And that, that was uh, for years, I would either just manually strap a unit to my backpack where I would hand carry one in and pointed down that that would drop ozone on the trail I was creating. I, we we wear rubber boots. We do a lot of things. Over the years, we've developed the kinetic pack and learned to hunt a kind of a run and gun. We do a lot of elk hunting, and, and I use that pack. And, and or we've created, um, you can take the top portion of that and strap it to your favorite pack, which we've done. I, I do that all the time, too. When I elk hunt, I, I, I use a mystery ranch pack sometimes that yeah. I actually strap my unit to. And, uh, um, in fact, I was in Montana last week, elk hunting. And, uh, um, so same thing there, elk hunting is a great example of, of getting into a location, getting out of a location and, and the, what we deal with, with thermals and, uh, and the wind shifting on you 
and trying to position yourself um, to, to take an animal. But entering and exiting a stand site is critical. And I don't, I don't know that a lot of people put the time and effort and, and thought around how they manage their scent in and out of a, a, a location like that. Yeah, and I agree. And you just touched on something else that is hugely important, thermals. Where I, have a, mm-hmm. where I live in my house, the end of my property is a little hollow. I have to wait till the wind conditions right, but I also have to deal with the thermals because the one side goes right up. And obviously, as the mm-hmm. temperature is warm, you carry your sand out and things like that. So you mentioned about like when you're elk hunting and stuff, how do you, how do you try to deal with those thermals and you're, if you're in that type of situation, whether it's early in the morning as the sun's rising or in the evening as things shift? What, what are some tips you have for, for, for archery hunters in dealing with thermals and carrying your scent? So the, the best way to put this is you have to remember that uh, you don't control the ozone molecule. The wind does. Same thing with your odor. So that's the beauty of, of, of our portable design and in the field design is that is what I have to do is I, I have to provide an, enough ozone in the downwind airstream to mix with the odor that I'm releasing in the downwind airstream that one of three things happen. Either the animal is completely unaware of me Two, if he does smell some something, he doesn't. It's been my odor's been altered by the ozone to the point that he doesn't recognize it. Or if he does smell me, he he gets so little of me that he gets this idea that hey, I'm 400 yards away when in reality I'm 40 yards away or 20 yards away. So that that's the ideal setup. And when you're when you're on the move. And you have a unit strapped to your back. That ozone's dumping straight up into the air and being carried in downwind, whatever wind direction it is. So if it's swirling, what's the ozone doing? It's swirling in that wind stream. What's your odor doing? Same thing. So again, this it's this it's this game of time and concentration. I need enough yeah. ozone for a, a, a long enough time to mix with my odor that it does one of those three things we talked about. And, and and it's such good advice because, you know, we were talking about such different scenarios and you mentioned elk hunting. I was elk hunting in Alberta, oh, about a week and a half ago. And mm-hmm. we had two bulls bugling in a, in a small base. Let's call it a bowl, actually. Right. And we had a wind indicator powder and we were trying to work around to get in position for these bulls. We ran around, I swear it was 80% of that bowl. No matter how you went, it just carried the, the wind just carried your scent right down. So we had to work all the way around, almost back to where we started to get in position to not spook those animals. And I'm like, that's crazy because everybody deals with shifting winds and prevailing winds and secondary winds and things like that. But when you're talking about like 80% of it's carrying the scent right in, that makes for a tough setup. Actually, that brings up a good question. If if, if you hunt a property and, and, and you have one of those positions where you have wind eddies or you have um multiple different winds what what do you try to do because i'm sure even in texas where you're at you have the wind shifting all the time sure there's certain situations where um you're going to get hard swirling winds based on the terrain or the the topography uh so i wear a unit on the way in and a lot of times if it's one of those places where that it's out of control i guess what i would say bad winds where i where i can't pick a predominant direction what I'm going to do is typically take in extra ozone. I'm going to take a second unit with me. Yeah. I'm going to try to, the, you, the way you overcome that is again, time and concentration. So if the wind's very erratic, I'm going to try to position two units as best I can. But certainly if I only have one, I'm going to run it on the, on the maximum setting in an open air environment on hyperboost, just to dump as much ozone on the downwind airstream as I can to overcome that fluctuation. 
the way the analogy I like to give with that is imagine you're standing in a stream and you dump green food coloring in that stream. Okay. Mm -hmm. That that's your odor. But you'll notice that that odor, it's going to, it goes all kinds of places. It's not, it's not linear. It, it will move here and there based on the current, based on the eddies created by rocks and, and, and uh, logs and depth changes. Now, if I take red food coloring and spray it in there, that's ozone. Now, you watch the two interact. Some places, the red will completely overcome the green and it disappears. In other places, they'll change color and be altered. And in some places, they don't touch at all. That's what's happening in a downwind airstream with your odor and, and ozone. And so that's the challenge when, you, when you're setting up the hunt. You take this tool, just like any tool in your arsenal, you have to learn how to use it and really pay attention to the wind and think through this. So to your point, if I can take two units into a location that I believe the, the winds are yeah. swirling and super erratic, I do. Um, if, if I only have one unit, then I'm going to run it on maximum ozone output, which would be in this case, the HR 500 would be hyperboost. Yeah. And I've run two units at times too. And, and so I appreciate you sharing that because that's actually something that a lot of people may not think of, but, it, but it's such great advice. Uh, the other thing I will share and everybody has different philosophies on this, but if you have a couple different spots, I always say, try not to burn your spot out. I mean, if you only have one spot to hunt, you sort of have to deal with what you have, but if mm -hmm. you can mix it up, not only pay attention to to the winds, but the more you hunt in there, you, you're inevitably going to leave some of your scent in there. And you certainly will notice the number of deer sightings diminish over time. So if you can mix it up, that's just an additional thing that you can do instead of just hunting one right. spot over and over. And well, that's an important and I thing. think that's a beautiful, a beautiful spot or, or, or part of using ozone, too, is because it does reduce your odor footprint. So you are educating the, the animals less. And with a reduced odor footprint and, and your, you, it gives you, it'll give a spot a little more life than, than in the past. Well, to your point it, on day one, it's great. Day two, not as good as day one, day three, a little less day four and day five. Now I don't see anything. I think you can lengthen that process. The other thing you can do is, is get a little more aggressive, right? To, to your point later in the season, you're on that wily buck and you just, yep. you just haven't get to them. Now you can push into those bedding areas a little, you can be a little more aggressive than you were in the past because you can be confident with your ozonics um, that you're going to, you're going to, um, you're going to take away an element that he absolutely survives on, which is his ability to detect you via his nose. Yeah. And, and I agree. You will find like, you may have that option, especially if you're using scent control and ozonics uh, as the rub picks up, you, you might, uh, find situations that are a little more forgiving. So, so thank you for bringing that up. Now, what are some of the other things that you think are important for people when maybe they don't necessarily think of when it comes to scent control, um, whether it's using ozonics or using cover scents or anything else, there must be, you know, some other things that people just really tend to overlook. Well, so I, I mentioned the uh, egress and ingress. I think that one is a super important one. The other thing is this critical, and I've run into this over the years is, is uh, you client you you take make all of this effort to keep yourself clean and to do all these things and you set your you get in your tree stand and then you hang your backpack down on the side of the tree or below you and your backpack's full of odor and um, if you're if you happen to be using ozonics but your backpack's six feet away from it or on the back side of the tree opposite of where you are and the, and it's not getting covered 
That's one thing. And or and or take the time to make sure that you clean your backpack periodically, any of the other equipment in a tree. Um, if you're self-filming, you've got extra bags, cameras, you've got all of these things that for, that have odor on them that will release that odor in a downwind airstream if you haven't taken the time to to treat them. We, we're careful to treat ourselves, not so careful to treat all of our extraneous gear. And that's such a great point. And that includes like if you do use a scent or use an ozonics machine. But if you just throw your gear into the back of the truck bed and you might have a dog or something or anything else, you're going to pick up some of those scents from the truck. And and to an animal that's in the wild, that might smell unnatural as well. So you got to keep all those things in mind, not just from the time you get ready, but the time you head into your vehicle and then get to the stand. So it's it is a complete process. It does take some thought. It's not all intuitive and easy easy to do. you got to really give some thought to it but it is super crucial uh, we're going to take a quick break here i just want to remind everybody that the bow hunting podcast is presented by lancaster archery supply for all your bow hunting needs visit lancasterarchery.com we've got the gear we've got the knowledge we've got the passion you know you've, you've shared so many good tips buddy and i, I just wanted to ask you a couple other things and one is um what's the most challenging hunt that you've ever been on as far as wind and scent control, and how did you how did that hunt work out for you? Whether you were successful or not, I'm sure you've been in some pretty crazy situations, especially if you've been elk hunting. Yeah, so I I, I would say that the um, probably last year in the the in the Gila in New Mexico Unit 15, uh, one of my favorite places on earth. I, I've I've had the privilege to hunt New Mexico three times and twice in the Gila. And, uh, um, and, and I'm very thankful for all that opportunity, but the Gila, you can run anywhere from, you can hunt on the North end of unit 15 near Kamado, and you've got these buttes, that's tile flat tops with these drains. Uh -huh. Um, and, and then you can get into mountain, you know, mountainous 8,500 feet, 9,000 feet with, with ponderosas. Um, so the wind's always different and there's typically so many animals. So super challenging hunt you get tired you get sweaty you get hot and so scent control it, there's not a whole lot of i mean you've got i in those situations i have to rely on my ozonics nearly a hundred percent because we're going 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 and there's there's not you're sweating like crazy and you're i take a lot of extra clothes and i treat them at night when we get in but, um, you know, once you're out there for the day, you're out there. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask you about, about your clothing. That was the other question I had. Do you try to wear clothing that sort of have odor eliminating properties as well? Do you take it that far as far as your apparel, your camo? No, I mean, uh, I used to, certainly. Um, I don't anymore because I've, I've, been, I've been hunting with ozone now for, this will be my 17th season, 16th season. Uh -huh. Somewhere right in there since. 2007 all the way until you know 23 i've hunted with it every year i i fully understand the power of ozone and how effective it is so i i can throw my stuff in a dry wash bag make sure it's dehydrated you don't want to put wet clothing in there because the, the when it's wet it, it it's harder to treat um dry it out throw it in there ozone will kill all that bacteria that's all odor is remember just bacteria ozone will destroy that and make you order free so that's part of the beauty is that i can wear the same set of clothes for four days in a row 
in those situations, as long as I have the ability to, to treat them either in the dry wash bag or a locker. And typically we treat dry wash bags with us. So yeah. I, I don't use special clothing anymore. Yeah. And, you know, I, a lot of hunters will say, uh, and I'm a big proponent, Oz, Ozonics is a, is a game changer. Ozon uh, production is really sort of been revolutionary in the industry and uh now for for people who are listening to the podcast how can they learn more about ozonics if they if for some reason they're not familiar with it so visit our website ozonicshunting.com um you can listen to our podcast killer which we call killer wins new podcast that we've we've started and we uh, we share a ton of tips on that we've got a blog on our website same thing youtube channel tons and tons of tech videos to show you to tell teach you about ozone to tell you how to utilize our uh, our gear in the field in different scenarios, different situations. Whether you're blind hunting, you know, soft sided blind, hard sided blind, tree stand hunting. There's a there's a lot of uh, stuff. I'm excited about doing some saddle uh, saddle hunting this year. Um, and I, I've been talking with the uh, the guys over at Tethered, and uh, several of them use our units and have been. Yep. And so I, I'm looking forward to trying the, this run and gun style with saddle and married up with uh, with Ozonics. Yeah, I, I th- and, and your unit is pretty lightweight, so I think that would work out really well for saddle hunters. Now, the one thing, the other thing that we touch on is I use the unit you're obviously really familiar with, but talk a little bit about positioning of the unit. I, obviously, you want to make sure that it's it's focused on downward, but you have to have that unit fairly close to you to be functional and things like that, right? You can't have it like three feet from you. Right. You, you're, a normal setup is going to be 8 to 12 inches above your head, right, If you with a, with a single unit at a position in a normal wind. So I would call normal 2 to 12 miles an hour at a position in the unit at a 30-degree angle in the downwind direction. Because remember, remember this stream analogy. Where the water goes, where the wind goes is where the odor and the ozone goes. That's where the entire game's played, downwind. So when the wind shifts or changes, you need to shift or change with the wind. So you're going to reposition your unit. So for the most part, most places down here in Texas, normally we have a southeast wind unless we have a cold front come through, then it shifts to the north. That's just pretty much predominant. Every now and then you'll get a southwest wind, et cetera. Then you'll have those days where you set up and it's 80 degrees, um, but during your hunt, you have a cold front come through. So now your wind has shifted 180 degrees uh, to the opposite direction. You need to remember that. I have a great story. Last week we were hunting in the afternoons. We were hunting a wallow out of elevated blinds uh, for elks. First time I'd ever done that. And uh, we all week we had had a predominant uh, west wind. So it's so it's hitting us in the face. It's perfect. It's blowing behind our backs where we come off the flat down into this little bowl where the wallow and the and the water source was. On the last day of our hunt, when we went in there, we had a front that was coming in. And uh-huh. so the wind about, we got in the stand early, uh, uh, probably one thirty, two o'clock, strong west wind in our face, perfect. About 3.30 or 4 o'clock that afternoon, the wind began to shift out of the west, all the way around to the southeast, east. And so now the it's blowing straight at our wallow which is fine. What I did is I simply took the units from the back of the blind where they were blowing out of the windows in the back. I moved them to the front of the blind. What I didn't do was use my wind tracker and which is, you know, it's like a milkweed, but this is a soft synthetic fiber that simulates a milkweed. 
because if I just blow the powder, it tells me the wind's blowing toward the wallet. And here's how I found out, fortunately or unfortunately, is I positioned both units to the front window because I believe that's where my wind was going. Um, from the north, I had a, a nice five by five come out. Um, I made the decision looking at him, hey, I, there's better elk here, but he's beautiful. We'll get some great footage. And he works his way all the way in a couple hundred yards, gets to the edge of the wallow and drops down in the wallow, which is a steep angle. Gets to the bottom of the wallow and stuck, goes to drink and just blows up. Gets our gets our scent and and beats feet out of there. And that's when I realized the wind had done something and I I had missed it because I'm in a, that enclosed blind. I yeah. missed it. So I start dropping my wind trackers and I would see that it had shifted more to the southeast and and when they hit in that bot that bottom where that wallow was, it would go straight north. So I took both my units out of the front windows and moved them to the side right-hand windows. Mm -hmm. And and at that point, later that evening, I had three more elk come in with 15 minutes of light. One was a shooter. He hung up at 60 yards because I had another one to my left that uh, they were both bugling to each other, which is was crazy because we didn't even know the one came in on the left. Uh -huh. um, so great footage, but he was hung up on my right-hand shoulder and I had no shot. And he ended up walking behind us great hunt great story but the point was is had i not repositioned realized the wind was wrong repositioned yeah. both of those units um there's a good chance that shooter would have never got even within 60 yards yeah and and that is such a important point i found the same thing in the outcome when we were talking earlier we would check the wind literally every 50 yards and it would be different and it's yeah. amazing how it happens out there and so Ozonics is a, is a great tool. There's so many other scent control products, but you have to keep paying attention to the wind. It's just another tool. These are all other tools to help you be successful, but you really got to pay attention to the wind. And like I said, I'm a huge uh, fan of Ozonics. And uh, uh, I have one last question before we let you go. Yes, sir. Now, you started hunting in your early 30s, but you've already, I think I'm guessing your early 50s, you've been hunting 20 years. Um, what's your favorite bow hunting memory of all time? What, like what jumps out to you when I ask you that question? Oh, it's the first elk I killed. Um, I, I, and that barely, the, the buck I killed after five years, but it, it was similar. Um, Scott has such a passion. He's my best friend. Has such uh -huh. a passion for elk hunting. And, um, you know, I, I went on one, two, I think we hunted three times. And then in Cloudcroft, New Mexico in 2020, um, at the top of a mountain, I had a, a 38 yard shot on a, on a bull elk that I didn't think had a prayer of getting through the brush uh, at him and, and, uh, got him and watched him go down right in front of me. And it was just one of the, one of the, probably my favorite bow hunting moment because it, elk hunting, I love whitetail. Don't get me wrong. Love them. But yeah. the hunt is so different. One's a chess game. Both are chess games, but one's, one's, more of a thinker's game and the other one's got a lot more physicality to it a lot of times yeah um and uh i love that that mix of of uh run and gun and chasing bugling elk on the side of a mountain do you have any more elk hunts planned for this year or is that it for this year no unfortunately that's it for this year uh we we went on a nail guy hunt on the king ranch which i i i recommend that hunt to anybody who will listen because one, it's a it's a giant animal. A big bull, no guy will go 600, 650 pounds, but they are the spookiest 
one of the toughest animals you'll ever hunt. They're just they're just hardy, and they they'll watch. You can be covered up in animals, and they'll sit out in the shadows and watch that watch the waterhole or for two or three hours before they finally commit to it. And it's just an intense hunt, and the best eating there is, best eating there is. Well, um, thank you so much, buddy, for joining us. Thank you for sharing all those tips. Uh, obviously, uh, everybody, it's our time of the year. If you're a bow hunter, make sure you pay attention to your scent from, from start to finish. You really um, up your game if you do that. It's so important. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Bow Hunting Podcast. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bowhunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.